Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you. It's great to be seen by all those who are joining us online. And uh, I get to do something I don't usually get to do. I get to kind of cover the announcements for the day. So uh, first of all, you know, I know we got these QR codes and that kind of stuff on the back of your seats. And for those of you who want to use them, go for it. It makes life a little easier for us. But if you just want a plain old piece of paper, I think there's cards in there too that you can fill out and, and, and just drop those. As you leave the building this morning... Uh, by each of the doors, we have a, a, some, some metal boxes that you can put your offering in, and you can also drop your Connect cards in there with us. You know, and, you know, I know we're kind of always pushing the Connect cards. Listen, we're, we're, we are not the dispenser of spiritual merchandise. We want to be in community together as we walk with Jesus. And we can't do that if we don't know who you are, we don't know how to pray for you, and we don't understand what's really going on in your lives. And that goes both ways. So we'd love for you to take a moment to fill that out, whether you're joining us online or whether you're here in the, in the, in the building with us again this morning. So it's great to have everybody here today. Hey, just a couple of things I want to go over with you. Um, you'll notice that the pile of O's, the Operation Christmas Child boxes is getting bigger and bigger in the lobby. That's because they were due today. So if you're thinking, oh, I forgot mine. We will be open tomorrow, right? We're here from 8.30 to really almost all day after that because our office closes, but other people are still here, whatever that kind of thing. So tomorrow you can swing it by the building. If, if you're not here, just leave it on one of the steps outside, on the, one of the chairs outside. We'll bring it in and put it in the right spot. But get it into us as quickly as can because we need to move that on to the next station in the food chain and then eventually get out to the national level where they'll sort through everything and then send it, over, end it overseas. So get those in. The other thing I really want to promote is that we, we have developed a history as a congregation of kind of being the labor force, part of the labor force with wheat. And wheat is a, a community uh, uh, service group that works out of Clinton. And they are prepared to give away something like 600 Thanksgiving meals coming up. And that distribution is a week from tomorrow. And so they literally just have crate after crate after crate, pallet after pallet of food that shows up. And so they need helpers in the afternoon to get the pallets all broken apart so they can quickly be put into the cars of people who come through. And then they need people to be able to be there to help put that in cars. Usually the people just pop their trunks open and you just stick stuff in their rear end as they go by. Or if they have an SUV, the hatch is up or whatever. And you can sign up to be a part of that right through our website. We have a link from our website to their sign-up sheet online. So there's an afternoon session and an evening session, and you can stay for both if you want. Um, but they really do need the help, and so uh, I'd encourage you to go sign up. Just a warning, because I didn't realize this last year. We, they did this for years and years indoors. Now they're doing it outdoors, right? And uh, for a number of different, they don't have access to the same facility. I showed up last year thinking it was going to be inside. I'm glad I had to stay moving because I would have been cold, all right? So dress appropriately, come join us, be out there. It's a great time just to kind of hang out and, and serve and, and be a part of those things. So anyways, hey, I did want to take a moment and pray. Uh, and I want to mention a couple of, uh, of things as we do this. Um, some of you know Dorothy Kilcoin. Dorothy was uh, active in our fellowship for a number of years. And a few years ago, she, she, uh, she developed ALS. And so her engagement with us over the last couple of years has been really, really minimal because of the progression of that disease. And um, her daughter and son-in-law uh, are a part of our church, uh, the Agurkuses, and, and her grandson grew up in our church, Peter. And Dorothy passed away 
uh, this past week, so we want to be praying for the Kilcoin family and for her husband, Stephen. And some of you have really long memories going all the way back to 2012. Um, we had a family, a couple, that went out from our church to help start another church in our region, which is a great thing. We need all the great churches we can get. But uh, Penny Godin passed away as well, and some of that was related to pneumonia with COVID and that kind of thing. And so we want to pray for her husband, Bob, as well. So, and, uh, so let's just take a moment to pray, and then we're going to get into our word for today. All right? So let's pray. First of all, let me just give you a moment to prepare for worship. First of all, just ask yourself this question. What do I need to hear from God today? Father, today we come into this place to worship you, and encountering you always demands change from us. So, Father, we do indeed ask that we would have hearts that are ready to receive what it is that we need from you today. Father, I do want to pray for these two families that are brothers and sisters in Christ with us. I pray for the Kilcoin family, for Steve, and for the entire family um, as they go through the adjustment of lo losing such a sweet lady in a big part of their lives. God, we're grateful uh, that grief doesn't have to be final because there's always the hope of eternity in Christ. We pray as well for Bob Godin and for the, Go for the Godin family as they mourn the loss of, of Penny, and I know Bob is still recovering from some things himself, so we just really pray for your comfort and your strength and your healing for them. God, we're grateful that we have the privilege of being a part of your family, and because we are a part of your family, and they are as well, we grieve along with them. So Father, thanks for being the author of life and the giver of eternal life. For moments like this, it really makes a difference. And we see it most clearly in the life and the mission of Jesus Christ. And so we pray in his name today. Amen. Amen. So we're going to come to the end of our study of the book of Ezra and Nehemiah today. And I use the word book singular because originally they were one book together and they have been separated in our English Bibles uh, literally centuries after Jesus was alive. But I want to ask this question. Can great spiritual comebacks last? Can great spiritual comebacks last? Are they just a flash in the pan or something that's just a season of our lives? Or is it really possible for us to return to God and stay with God and for that relationship with God to stay fresh, alive, vital, and empowering and all the good adjectives you want to throw into that? Is it really possible for us to sustain spiritual change? You know, um, when you look at the scriptures, you might be tempted to answer the question with the answer no. 
You might find that a little surprising, but we might look at the scriptures, we look at the history of the people of God, and we would say, nah, that's not really doable. I mean, we've been studying the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and just to remind you the context we've been in, is that this is the moment when God sought to re- and brought the people back to the promised land after they had been in exile. Why were they in the exile? Because their spiritual comebacks never lasted. Right? God brings them out of slavery from Egypt, and then enter into a relationship with Mount Sinai, it doesn't last. Before you know it, they're making their own idol and they're wanting to go back to Egypt with a different leader. Spiritual comeback doesn't last. God leads them into the promised land. And they take possession of the land. And we look through the book of Judges and over and over and over again, what happens? Spiritual comebacks don't last. And... and, The whole reason why the people were sent into exile is that once they became the nation set up under David and then Solomon and right on down the line, they failed to be the people of God. God brought brought correction. He brought discipline. He brought troubles into their lives over and over and over again to draw them back to himself, and yet their spiritual comebacks never lasted. We're going to see the same thing in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah today. And, and, and before you're depressed, right, you're thinking, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, I'm going to land up on the heap, right, you know, okay, scrap heap. I want you to know it is possible to sustain spiritual change, but we've got to learn the lessons from them so we don't repeat them. Let me give you some examples. Moses is a tremendous example of a spiritual comeback, right? Kills an Egyptian, has to flee, etc. God brings him back, and he stays faithful for a lifetime. The apostle Paul was a persecutor of the church. He has a spiritual comeback on the road to Damascus when he meets the risen Christ who appears to him. He never wavers after that. Peter denies Jesus three times, but when he's reinstated, He never wavers again. It is possible to sustain spiritual change. It is possible to have a tremendous spiritual comeback, but we can't do it if we're going to make the same mistakes as Ezra, as we see the people making the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. I'd love for you to grab a Bible and turn to the book of Nehemiah with me. For those of you who may be just joining in, and I know we have some few first-time visitors today, all of the messages are on our YouTube page. You can get right to those through our website, so all the messages are there. If you want to hear all the music that goes with all the songs, just go to our, our YouTube channel, because we have the full services there in addition to just the sermon parts of the videos and those kinds of things. Let me... Let me replay a few of the things that have been happening so we, we have the context we're going to look at. The, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah cover about a 75-year period. The original act, if you will, in the beginning pages of the book of Ezra was when God brought the people back to, to Jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the altar. And that happened under the name of, the guy, of a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. 
right? Aren't you glad you didn't have to spell that as your name in the first grade, right? You know, your, all your friends would be at recess and you'd still be writing. Yeah. You know, anyway, so, uh, and, and, and they finally get, after all the opposition, all that kind of stuff, they finally get the altar and then they get the temple rebuilt. And then there's like a 50-year period that occurs. And then we see Ezra, who is like a second Moses, comes back, and, and he comes back to teach people the law of God. And he's sent there, actually, by the king of the Persians to do just that. And the people experience a tremendous renewal in those moments. It's not a renewal that lasted. And then in this last act, we've seen Nehemiah come. And Nehemiah was a servant in the royal, royal court in Persia and burdened with what was going on in his home, own home city. He asked the king, at great risk to himself, he asked the king for the privilege to go back and he was appointed the governor to serve for 12 years in the city of Jerusalem in the area around it. And under Nehemiah, they rebuilt the walls of the city. And the symbolism is, is that now the place where you can worship God and hear from God through his word is protected. So it's available. But after 12 years, Nehemiah has to return to the capital because his commission is over. And that's what happens between chapters 10 and 13. But then in chapter 13, Nehemiah, again, his request is granted for him to return to Jerusalem. And as far as we know, we spend, he spends the rest of his life in Jerusalem. And so those are the events we're looking at right now, where, where Nehemiah has been there, the walls have been rebuilt, his ministry with Ezra's kind of overlaps. There's a great renewal that takes place, but when Ezra fades off the scene because of age and death, and Nehemiah has to travel out, the spiritual comeback comes to a screeching halt. Let's read together a little bit. So I, I want to pick up. We, last week we looked at this great prayer in Nehemiah chapter 9, where the people replayed the tape and said, you know, over and over and over again, our people do, couldn't sustain this great spiritual comeback. And so they're saying, we want our experience to be different. We want our comeback to God to last. And so that's what they've committed to in, in, in Ezra chapter, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. If you're using one of the few Bibles, our text today is on page 428, right? So instead of just whatever, just grab the Bible from underneath your chair, page 428, and we're right in that area. So I want to pick up with verse 28. So here, here is the capstone of the comeback. Right? Here's the capstone of the comeback. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the temple servants, along with their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who was able to understand and who has separated themselves from the surrounding people to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to obey carefully all the commands, the ordinances, and the statutes of the Lord our God. So there's the capstone. So Nehemiah chapter 10, verse, verse 30. Here are some of the specific commitments they made. First of all, they weren't going to intermarry with the people around them. Now that's not an ethnic thing. It's a set apart thing. 
God is trying to create a people, if you will. God is, God is trying to have a people who set apart to him to be a holy nation or royal priesthood so that he can bring the redeemer for the entire planet into the world. So he needs those, that people set apart. And, so, and with that, they'd say, we're not going to intermarry with the people around us. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Secondly, when the surrounding peoples, verse 31, bring merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on a Sabbath day, we will not buy for them on the Sabbath day or a holy day. We will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and will cancel every debt. They promise to keep the Sabbath. When the people from the territory who aren't observing the Sabbath show up with their goods on a Saturday for us to buy, we're not going to go and buy. We're going to observe the Sabbath. All right? Here's the other commands. We're going to give an eighth, verse 32, an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the house of our God, the bread displayed before the Lord. And they kind of, but in other words, we're going to support the ministry of the temple. We're going to support the ministry of God. Verse 34, right? And so, and they're going to set aside the people in verse 34 to do the work that needs to be done. Look at verse 35. So, so far they've committed to not intermarry, to keep the Sabbath, and to support God's work. Verse 35, we will bring the first fruits of our lands and of every fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our livestock as, prescri as prescribed the law. And we'll bring the firstborn of the herds and the flocks to the house of our God to the priests who serve in God's house. And he keeps moving along. What they're promising to do here is they're promising to give. They're promising to tithe as the scriptures taught them through the law of Moses. So here you have this whole litany of commitments that they're making. We're not going to intermarry. We're going to keep the Sabbath. We're going to give. We're going to keep the work of God going. We're, all these different pieces, right? So chapter 11, they resettle Jerusalem. They figure, all right, we don't have room for everybody, so we're going to pick some people. They're going to repopulate Jerusalem. The rest of the people are going to stay out there. They work all through those lists. And then you get around to Nehemiah chapter 13. So this is, this is probably a decade later. And it's in the season where Nehemiah has already left, and now he has returned, and we see what happens among the people. And, and again, I, I, really, it's all of Ch Nehemiah chapter 13. I'm just going to try to highlight a few things for us as, as, we, as we go along. So we can, see, we can see how their spiritual comeback came to a screeching halt. Every single commitment that they had made, they broke. What did we just sing? If you're not in it, I won't want it. Is that going to be true on Wednesday? Is that going to be true a month of Wednesdays from now? If you said it, I believe it. And you can follow right on down the line. So in, in verses 1 through 4, after Nehemiah returns... They start reading from the book of Moses again because they had stopped doing that, right? So at the time the book of Moses was read publicly to the people, the command was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the Israelites with food and water. Instead, they hired Balaam against them to curse them, but our God turned the curse into a blessing. And when they heard the law, they separated for all those of mixed descent from Israel. 
So they get back and they're reading the law again, right? And they recognize, they hear again what's supposed to be happening. What, what the problem was is that their, their, their lead priest, his name is Elishab, he's actually a close friend, an associate, maybe even a relative of a guy by the name of Tobiah, who's an Ammonite. And if you've been following along in the book of Nehemiah, he's actually one of the guys who opposed what Nehemiah wanted to do in rebuilding the walls. But because he has an inside track to the priest, despite what the word of God says, he's given special quarters in the temple. They take, they take one of the storehouses where they keep all the stuff to do the daily work in the temple. They clear that stuff all out. And one of the reasons why it's not that much is because people would stop giving anything. And it all just ran out. And they, and they set up lavish quarters for an Ammonite who is never supposed to enter into the assembly of God's people. So they defile the temple. And it's their leader who does that. Pick up in verse 6. While all this was happening, I was not in Jerusalem because I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign. It was only later that I asked the king for a leave of absence so I could return to Jerusalem. Then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. I ordered that the rooms be purified. And I had the articles of the house of God restored, along with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that because the portions for the Levites had not been given, each of the Levites and the singers performing the service had gone back to their own work. So they had made a commitment to give, right? To support God's work. They weren't keeping it. The spiritual comeback had faded. Keep reading. Therefore, I rebuked the officials, asking, why has the house of God been neglected? And I gathered the Levites and the singers together and stationed them at their post. Then all Judah brought a tenth of the grain, new wine, and fresh treasures over the house, storehouses, uh, the priests, and, and it runs through the list there of, of the people who are going to be in charge of all of this that's coming in. Verse 14 says, remember this Remember me for this, my God, and don't erase the deeds of faithful love I have done for the house of my God. Verse 15, at the same time, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. They're working. Are they supposed to work on the Sabbath? Nope. Spiritual comeback is over. Nehemiah's only been gone for two years, right? Less than two years. They got this pinnacle moment. They signed the sheet gone. Right? He, he, then, then Nehemiah works through, he talks about it, and not only that, we're not only were they doing the wine presses on the Sabbath, he said, but, but the people from the surrounding lands were coming in and setting up shop on the Sabbath day. They were opening the market on the Sabbath day. Right? And, 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 um, and, and, and Nehemiah says, I drove them away, and I said, you come back again, you're in big trouble. Again, violation of the commitment of keeping the Sabbath, right? Let's see where we're going. Verse 23 of chapter 13. I'm going to, we're going to get out of it in just a minute. I'm going to get to some place hopefully a little bit more encouraging for us. In those days, I also saw G Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab. 
Half of the children spoke the language of Astrod or the language of one of the other peoples, but they couldn't even speak Hebrew. I rebuked them. I cursed them. I beat some of their men, and I pulled out their hair. I, I forced them to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to your sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? There wasn't a king like him among any nation. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel, yet foreign women led him, drew him into sin. Why then should we hear about you doing all this terrible evil and acting unfaithfulness, unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? And so what we've seen is every single commitment they made, they blew right? Casting Crowns used to have a song between the, it was called Between the Altar and the Door. We stand and say, you know, God, if you're not in it, I don't want it. If you said it, I believe it. Wherever you follow, I will go until I get to the driver's side door of my car in the parking lot, and then all bets are off, right? And of course we don't say that. So what, what happened to these people? Can we look at their experience and say, you know what, if I, if I can just be spiritually alert enough, that won't happen to me, right? And one of the things I, I'm going to say to you up front, and this isn't one of my points, <laughs> is that this is why we need community. Because other people can see things that are going on in our lives that we can't. One of the reasons why I tell you, get in a life group, because it's really important about keeping you on track and, and moving forward. But I, I just want to look at some things that happened in their experience that, that I think are vital for us to understand so we can keep our guard up, right? And here's, a, here's the first thing. I think somewhere along the line, they literally just became spiritually numb, right? They, they just became spiritually insensitive. I mean, the temple's still functioning. They're still offering worship. worship. They're still giving their offerings. They're still doing all that stuff. But somewhere along the line, it stopped, it stopped impacting them. It stopped changing them. It stopped fueling them. It, somewhere along the line, they just became spiritually numb. Now, I see several factors that I think are going on in their experience are things that are relevant for us as well. One of those is I think they just, part of the reason they became spiritually numb is they simply just started neglecting the Word of God. They just, you know, Nehemiah's gone. When he comes back, what do they do? They start reading the Word of God again. But while he's gone and Ezra's out of the picture, there is no Word. And they're just neglecting the Word of God. And, and I got to tell you, one you know, we said, man, you know, I read my Bible. I've been reading my Bible for years and years. You know what? Keep it up. Keep it up. Because it's vital to staying spiritually alert and sensitive to God. You know, I, I've used this illustration before. I think discipleship, taking up our cross daily and following after Christ like he asked us to do, I think a perfect illustration for that is like riding a bicycle. And the reason why I say is it's because we, in order to keep a bike going, what are you going to do? You've got to keep pedaling. You've got to do the same motion over and over and over again. When it comes to staying alert and sustaining spiritual comebacks, so they actually move from being a comeback to being our character, 
It means that you and I need to keep pedaling the same way by reading the Bible, praying, serving, except we just need to keep doing the same stuff. You know, it's interesting then in Proverbs chapter 28, sorry, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says, without revelation, the people run wild. So the people weren't tapping into God's word, so there's no revelation. What's happening? They start to run wild. They start to spill over the riverbanks and create a must. One of the reasons they became spiritually numb is because they neglected God's word. Here's the second thing I would say. They, they, they engaged in spiritually unhealthy relationships. Specifically, what they were doing were intermarrying with the people around them. And they got to a place where, and, and, and the whole imagery here would say, they couldn't speak Hebrew, but they could speak the other languages, the children. And, and what, so here, here's the imagery, is that the tide's coming in on the people. It's not that the tide's going out from the people. Right? We're, we're supposed to be the light of the world. The tide is supposed to be going out, right? It's supposed to be flowing out from us into them. That's not what's happening here, right? They're entering into these relationships, and the tide is flowing into them. They're getting shaped by the world rather than them having a role in shaping the world for God. And he says that's exactly what happened with Solomon. Solomon was, was God's chosen successor after the man, after God's own heart, King David. He's the guy that God used to build the temple. It was one of the great splendors of the world. He gave him a reputation for wisdom and insight that was world-renowned, all these kinds of things. And at the end of the day, all of it began to slip away because Solomon engaged in unhealthy spiritual relationships read marriages to form alliances with all the various clans and people around them so that, the, so that we could be safe and have all these... And all of it just led him to walk away. His heart walked away from God. Engaging in spiritually unhealthy relationships. And, and we could go into a lot of things along those lines as well for us, right? Third thing that I think contributed to their spiritual numbness was that they, adopt, they, they adopted, and I, I, they, they just kind of bought into worldly patterns, right? So here's the mindset. Hey, you know what? I make wine for a living. I, I, it makes no sense to shut down operations on the Sabbath. All it's going to do is negatively affect my bottom line. So let's just keep it going. Right? If, 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 they're, if they're here on, on the Sabbath day for the market and they're offering discounts, come on, it makes no sense not to buy. Right? I'm going to need that carrot tomorrow. I was buy, should buy it cheaper today. Right? And, and, and they're, just, they're just buying into all this stuff. And it's just coming right online. It was interesting. Uh, a number, a number of years ago, I got to go down to a, a leadership event in Georgia. And the facility that we went to was actually owned by Chick-fil-A. You know, and I don't know if you know this story or not, but Chick-fil-A originally was, originally was like a, a regional fast food restaurants kind of system, and they were all in malls. In other words, they didn't, they didn't have any standalone stores. They were just the window in the food court, right? And they were highly popular. Well, when their leases in these malls came up, the mall owner, this huge conglomerate, came to them and said, we're not going to renew your leases unless you're open on Sunday. And they said, well, I guess we're not going to renew our leases. And the mall's thinking, yeah, they're going to come begging. 
They're going to come begging. You know what happened? Chick-fil-A, in that transition that they had, they started building mortar stores, brick and mortar stores. They started building standalone stores. Their boom business boomed, right? The malls, they, they, they didn't renew their lease. The windows went dark. Within a year, they were coming back and saying, would you come back? Our customers are saying, where's Chick-fil-A? Right? Because they, 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 they are owned by believers, and they want their people to be able to go to church. So don't drive to Worcester looking for a Chick-fil-A waffle uh, fry today, all right? Because they're not open today. Even now, they're not open. Does that make any sense when you're trying to make a profit? But they were just adopting worldly patterns. Here's the way it seeps into us, right? It's, it's, there's subtle changes. How do you define success? Biblically, the answer is faithfulness. But there's a lot of us, our first place would take us towards prosperity, security, right? What, what, what does it mean to be blessed, right? Uh, my, my mother used to quote to me all the time, said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And, and she said, that's in the Bible. I said, it's not in the Bible. I thought it was one of those Hezekiah 5.9 things that she made up, right? Hezekiah 5.9 is some of the best stuff in the world because there's no, there's no Hezekiah book. So you can just say, you know, whatever you want to make it say, it's perfect, right? Like no calories in church food, Hezekiah 5.9. It's perfect, right? You know, she would say, it's actually in the book of Acts. But we get into a place where, you know, it's, 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 it's more blessed to receive than it is to give. Just slowly adopting the ways of the world. We become spiritually numb. Here's the second thing. I'm about running out of time. You know what? If you would, if you, I wish I had time to put all the pictures together. If you go back and you read the prayer that they prayed as a nation in chapter 9, how in the world could they ever walk away and then let their guard down for a spiritual letdown? You know, over and over again, they're reciting how the people of God had had these great spiritual comebacks, and then they just blew it. And it's, it goes on for 30-something verses, right? It's, it's right in their windshield. They can't miss it. And somehow they acted as though that's never going to happen to me. Never going to happen to me. Like somehow or another, they had a sense of spiritual immunity, right? The worst thing that you and I can sing, think is that, you know, when we sing a song like, if you said it, I believe it, say, yeah, that's going to be me forever. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's the worst thought to have, to say, you know what? I need to work every single day to make sure that's true of me. Because none of us are spiritually immune, right? None of us have natural spiritual immunity of getting the virus of spiritual failures. And we need to just stay alert to all of that. But they, they, they had the sense of, you know what, that happened in the days of the judges. It happened to the people during the exodus. It happened to the nations. But you know what? That's not going to happen to us. We've been here when we've seen the walls go up. How in the world could we ever backslide? And they just didn't keep their guard up. You know, it's an interesting warning, right? In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says, you know what? Be sober-minded. Be alert. Because your adversary, the devil, is roaming around like a roaring lion looking to see. You know, it, it, you got to stay on guard. 
I call this spiritual blindness. They had spiritual numbness, and I think they had spiritual blindness. They just didn't really see their own potential for singing something like, if you said it, I believe it, and then walking out the door and not living it. They just were blind to that. Here's the last thing I want you to see. We're going to wrap up our series. It's really interesting when you look at the book, all these books, when you look at all the Old Testament. And, and if you want to see what God's saying about what's going on these times, go read the book of Malachi. Because Malachi is the prophet who's speaking into this. The last word that we have from God until Jesus shows up and God speaks to the father of John the Baptist. Right? What, what's, what's, what strikes me is that when they had, they had like a surrogate commitment to Christ, or to following after God's commands. What I mean by that was when, when Zerubbabel was around, when Ezra was around, when Nehemiah was around, they fell into line, right? When you took away the leadership, they drifted. And so the real question is then is, is whether or not, whether or not our commitment to following after Christ comes from our own hearts, or is it based through the heart of somebody else? Does that make any sense? You know, when, when Nehemiah was there saying, this is what we're going to do, the people all lined up behind him, right? Because they were following after God through his heart. But when you took Nehemiah out of the equation, and they were dependent upon themselves to say, this is what I'm going to do no matter what anybody else is doing. They fell away. I think, you know, we, we, sometimes you, you go to search online and say, you know, I want the made in America stuff, right? Made in the USA, as opposed to imported. Some of us have imported our commitment to be followers after Christ, rather than it being homegrown in our own hearts. And it's a question of ownership. I, these people signed up, they put their name on the bottom line, and they, and they signed up, not because they were following after Christ from their own heart, but they were following after those who were following after God. And those people can be a blessing to you, but they are not a substitute for making up that decision for yourself, to following after Christ. And if you want spiritual change, if you want great comebacks to last, it's got to be yours. It's got to be wholly yours. That's what it takes. And, and so my challenge to us at the end, as we've looked through this enti these entire two books and, and you build that off of Daniel and all the stuff that we've been doing through the course of this year, the thing I said, said, you know, own your own spiritual comeback. I'm glad I get to have a role in it, but don't build it on me. I'm glad you got people in your life group who have a role in it, but don't build it on them. Let them be an aid to you, but build an altar in your own heart. It says that my house is going to follow after God. Let's pray together. Father, by your grace and by your mercy, a great spiritual comeback is available to us today.
If you've never taken the first step of a spiritual comeback by placing your faith in Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Maybe another way of saying the same thing is, I need a Savior. And admitting and recognizing that Jesus is that Savior. Start your spiritual comeback there. It's not based upon the love that your parents or a friend or a neighbor has for Christ. But decide for yourself that you're going to love Christ yourself as your Savior and your Lord as you follow after him. Father, we're grateful for the presence of, our, of your spirit in our lives to guide us into all truth. Let your spirit today show us how not to become spiritually numb, how not to become spiritually blind to the spiritual needs we have in our own lives. And Father, show us how to truly own the privilege that we can have of taking up our cross daily and following after you. Father, start a great comeback and keep it going forever among us. For I pray it in Jesus' name.